Hey, it's Han. Welcome back to my podcast. Guys, today I have such a super cool episode for you guys. Um, You're going to really enjoy this one. I hope it's going to be super educational, but super exciting, and I cannot wait for you guys to hear this. So this is my intro. Go listen. All right, guys. Bye. All right, so welcome to the podcast. It's so great to have you on. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. So if you want to give a little introduction about yourself, that'd be pretty awesome. Sure. Um, so my name is Ritwick Toddy. I use they pronouns, and I'm currently a senior at Hatton Heights High School um, and Hatton Heights, New Jersey. That's awesome. And um, what I wanted to ask you is, like, what are your interests, just, like, accomplishments over quarantine, just, like, a basic, you know, tell us a little bit about you. Yeah, so I run cross-country and track for my high school. Um, I, I've been, like, team captain for the past two years. Um, and outside of school, I do a lot of activism and, like, community organizing, so a lot of um, protests and like educational stuff around climate change and as well as gender equality um, that's taken up a lot of my time during quarantine um, and also locally I uh, started a mutual aid fund in Camden County that's been one of my accomplishments over quarantine wow and something else yeah <laughs> something else <laughs> you're up to a lot yeah <laughs> and something else at my high school um, was I created an implicit bias training for teachers so um, basically what happened was there's like an over proportionate uh, disciplining of minority students at my school and that was a direct result of teachers having implicit biases about like what people wear and how they act and you know what towns they come from and what they look like so I made a implicit bias training to hopefully um, you know reduce the amount of implicit bias that there is in teachers so far that's really awesome and you're like so young too and the fact that you're taking such a big stand on huge huge issues that are going on not just in New Jersey but universally is like really encouraging and this and our generation especially that we are trying to be the change that's very much needed here especially in America yeah definitely I mean I've had some amazing role models um, not just locally, but like, um, yeah, I feel like social media is a really big portion of why I got involved with a lot of different things. And there's just like a variety of factors, like 2016 election, um, stuff that's happened to my family. It was just like a variety of factors that really contributed to why I was so motivated to pursue certain things. Wow. And the fact that you're just not sitting around and being like, oh, this isn't fair. The fact that you're actually taking the stand and going the extra mile is what I find really encouraging, especially since I do follow you on like Instagram and that I see that you're so, you know, passionate and you post a lot about really big issues that I would be scared to talk about because for the fear of not knowing what to say or not, you know, feeling like I'm in the right position to say something. So when you post something, I'm like, okay, so I need to educate myself and I need to check where I stand because I need to know what I'm representing and standing up for because it's really important, especially now. Yeah, definitely. And that's the goal with a lot of things I've missed about education. Um, you know, normally, like sometimes there'll be people that come into my DMs uh, wanting to argue, but like really that's not my goal. It's just to 
make sure that people who follow me do read the educational resources and if they have questions or things like that they can always reach out to me and like that's really the main goal here um not really trying to start any arguments right because there's always going to be someone that's going to be against you and against what you stand for which is you know it makes no sense that people are just against human rights like i'm just like why are people trying to start fights it doesn't make any sense whatsoever yeah definitely but um so i wanted to ask you what are you most passionate about since you do do a lot of activism um you know you're passionate about a lot but like what's the biggest thing that you are standing for yeah, I think the biggest thing is, what I really love is working, like, in my community, like, very locally. Um, I mean, I think if you look at, like, some of the stuff I do, so my story, I do some organizing nationally, um, helping, like, states across the country do certain things. But I think what's most rewarding and what I feel most passionate about is working in the community. So I mentioned the Mutual Aid Fund earlier, and I thought, you know, like, working in your community, even, like, now during the pandemic is, so, so important. And I felt like the work I was doing supporting local businesses and local organizations was really um, exciting and just really something I was passionate about um, because you can see the actual impact like, before your eyes. Absolutely. Um, yeah. It does make a big difference because you, people see a lot of issues and they're like, oh, I have to help this country or help, which is all good. Like it's all, it's nice to help other communities, but it, if you can't see the own issue going on in your own community, you really have to check yourself and be like, okay, am I contributing to an issue or can I help this issue that's going on right where I live? Yeah, exactly. And I mean, when people see like the picture, perfect version of activism, um, people will really see like these big scale protests and um, things that happen that are supposed to create a big impact. But really activism can happen anywhere at any level. Um, it can just start with you um, educating a, a friend about a certain issue. It can be about talking to your teacher about a certain topic. It really doesn't have to be like this imagined version of activism that you have. So it can start at any level and hopefully that's like my hope that people will get more involved and step out of their comfort zone when it comes to that. So, yeah, definitely. That makes so much sense because people seem to have this image of activism as like leading protest and marching and all that. But when it could really just be you posting on Instagram about an uh, important issue that's going on just locally, it doesn't always have to be some big movement. Which it's it's helpful to do a big movement, but it's not always has to be that not necessarily that big of a degree which I find really interesting. How has the pandemic um, affected activism and how has that sparked more movements that need to be brought to light more? Yeah, so I think there's sort of like a um, an upside and a downside to the fact that, you know, we can't be out on the streets doing stuff. Um, the upside is that a lot more people are willing to get involved, um, not just because like, there's like a lower risk of, you know, if, if we were conducting something like a protest, there was a lower risk of people being arrested or like um, availability, like in terms of them having like skip work or skip school. Um, and also just because of the fact that people have more time on their hands and really want to get involved, uh, especially because like the pandemic has revealed so many issues with like healthcare, uh, the environment, and, like criminal justice, and so many other issues. Absolutely. The outside. Yeah, and the downside is that we 
really had to rework a lot of the things that we do. Um, so for example, if we want to uh, campaign for an election that's happening in our area, uh, it's obviously much harder to go knocking on people's doors or holding um, like local rallies. Um, oh yeah, definitely. Was you know calling voters or sending um, out mail and things like that. So we definitely had to rework a lot of the things we did. Um, but yeah, overall, it's been like a very big learning experience, but also super rewarding. Yeah, it's it definitely makes you have to rethink the way you do things and kind of reinvent what it means to be an activist, especially during this terrible pandemic. Have you, since I was wondering this, actually, since you're so young and you are so educated in all these very important issues that are going on, do you face a lot of criticism and judgment from older people or even people your own age saying, you don't know what you're talking about, like you're just a kid? Like, Do you ever face that? Oh, yeah, definitely, loads of times. Um, I think, like you mentioned, both people that are older as well as um, people that are my own age. Uh, actually, a really funny story is um, this summer, like when the uprisings for Black Lives were happening, um, I really wanted to, like, I really wanted our local town councils to take a stance on, like, defunding the police as a step towards police abolition. Um, obviously, when people think police abolition, it's like a really big buzzword, a really radical idea that people are afraid to embrace. Um, the way I did my best to, you know, create a proposal that would really have like certain steps that town could take towards um, getting there. And when it was presented at the Hive Heights Town Council meeting, actually, um, basically I was met with a lot of criticism from council members. Um, okay. Exactly what you said, um, you know, saying like, I was too young to make a uh, like a stance on this and um, you know I didn't really know like the full extent of certain things which could be partially true but um, you know I feel like when you see someone so young speaking up for an issue so like large you should really be um, you know uplifting and empowering that voice rather than like getting it down um, especially because in had heights like and in local towns you know you don't really see a lot of young people getting involved in this way and I guess that also leads into why a lot of young people at my school um, and other local high schools um, aren't really a, a fan of the work that I do, either by their own political stance or just stances or just because they think that um, I'm too naive or things like that. Yeah, it's definitely harder because it's hard to hear a lot of voices drown you out and it can make you question what you're, why you're standing for. But at the end of the day, you have to know why you're taking a stand and you have to be able to back that up no matter what angle you're being criticized at, which is hard, but it's also, it kind of makes you more competent in yourself because you know why you're standing for what you're standing for. Yeah, definitely. I think one of the really big cornerstones of like activism and something you really need to keep in mind is what's like the one like memory or like one story that you have that will ground you in the issue that you're facing. So for example, um, when it comes to like climate justice, uh, my grandma, she has a farm in India and basically she's faced a lot of challenges and obstacles because of what climate change has done to the area that she lives in and that's sort of like my grounding story and why I continue to fight for climate justice. Um, I think what's really important is knowing exactly what you stand for and why you stand for it 
And it's also a really good way to um, recruit other people into the movement um, by telling your story and sharing, um, you know, personal uh, anecdotes and things like that. Because, you know, when you present facts or opinions in the argument, it's really easy for people to refute that on other things. But when you tell personal stories, it's really hard for people to invalidate that. Yeah, it connects it more and it makes it more personal to them because some people um, won't stand for something because, well, I've never faced this. So why would this can't be real then? Like when people claim the pandemic isn't that big of a deal, it's because they haven't face to face felt like handled this. Like they're still in a stable job. They're healthy. They're safe. And that's why they totally dismiss that, hey, this is a big issue. So like sometimes people don't take things seriously unless it's affected them, which is selfish, but it's just how people are a lot of the time. Yeah, exactly. So I wanted to ask you, so you speak about like defunding the police and police abolition. What does that exactly mean? Because I know there are a lot of people out there that are like, no, we need the police. And even I have been like on the fence. I'm like, what does it really mean to abolish or defund? Yeah, so I guess I'll talk about the two separately. Um, so first, defunding the police is exactly what it sounds like, basically taking money away from police um, forces. Uh, basically, where that money will go to is towards um, affected like minority communities in uplifting their schools, uh, their places of employment, their housing, um, like the grocery stores they shop at, basically like uplifting their communities as a whole. Okay. Basically what the purpose of that is, is to hopefully uplift those communities so that police don't need to patrol those communities as um, heavily as they do now. Because when you think about crime, people commit crime because they have a reason to do so. Um, they need to support their families or themselves or whoever they're with, and they need money for that. The reason that's happening is because the communities that they live in aren't supporting them as best as they can. So the money that usually goes towards police budgets will now be um, redirected towards uplifting those communities so that crime rate can hopefully decrease. Okay, that's a good, that's definitely, because when I've always heard that, I'm like, so I was just always confused on that. And I have done research, but I've just been like, how is that going to impact but when you put it that way it seems like it seems more of a positive movement than people are trying to make it seem yeah exactly and um i i know for like my personal stance uh, i would like us to move to use defunding the police as like a stepping stone towards an eventual abolition of the police force and basically my reasoning for that is um First of all, defunding the police would be a really meticulous, like super complex process because the way you'd have to do it is like by town by town um, because it's like a very case by case basis thing. Okay. So it would be like a lot of work to do that. Right. Because um, so everything that's, it takes a long time to do stuff like this. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I think just using that as a stepping stone towards something bigger like police abolition is more beneficial and the reason I support police abolition is because the police itself was founded as like a racist institution. Um, they stemmed from slave catchers before the, the Civil War. Um, oh wow. I directly stemmed from and ever since then it's always been a um, inherently like racist and 
like it's out to get minority groups uh that, that's what like a uh, sort of group it is and i think we need to realize that the money that we put into certain uh groups like in on the local level the police gets like the most of it um i don't know if you've seen like the nypd budget but it's like I think it's around like 80 billion or something oh my gosh. larger than that. And it's like way, way larger than anything that like public works gets or uh, New York public schools get. Um, wow. It's really, really important that we're like using numbers to showcase why like absolutely the need for police isn't as big as it should be. Yeah, that's so much money that can be used for other important things because. At the end of the day, I do understand we do need police, but we don't need the overwhelming, like like you said, like the targeted toward minority communities is totally outrageous and disgusting. And we like that's just unnecessary. So there can be other things that the money for that can be used for benef- for more benefits, like the public school systems. So I do I do definitely think I understand that what that means a lot more. Yeah, exactly. Um and I think, like, obviously, when we redirect money towards, like, communities, crime isn't going to go down completely. Like, that's, that's a really naive notion to have. That, right. Like, crime just wouldn't happen. Because so, it's, it's not a perfect world. Like, that's just not possible at the end of the day. Yeah, exactly. And I, I think when we say police abolition, that's a really scary thing for people. But um, the sort of, like, replacement substitute thing for that is like community watch or like some sort of community group that like looks out for each other. And the reason or the way we can start with that is to make communities as close to as possible. And that's only made possible by lifting communities in the first place. Absolutely. So more on like interconnectedness rather than like having to see their own families and for themselves. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Like when you really think about it, because like you said, people hear that word, it's just some big scary movement that might not make any sense at first glance, but you really have to look into something and do your research to see where you stand and what it actually means before you make such a harsh judgment on the term itself, which is hard for some people (laughs) to change their views, like at the, you know, at the drop of a, what's this, uh, I forget the term, but you know what I mean. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I, oh, go ahead. No, I'm sorry, what were you saying? Yeah, I was going to say that, um, you know, in our area, it's, very heavily like a majority white community um and that's why i feel like it's really hard for people to understand like the struggles that um minority communities face with the police so it's really important to have conversations and make sure people are educated so that like they can really understand where people are coming from yeah you really need to get out of your own head sometimes and think about other people besides yourself and what you faced because other people will have it a lot worse and you need to come to terms with that you need to be there to uplift other people and not just think about yourselves all the time which has been a hard conversation for a lot of people to have with their family members their friends that are still in that closed mind space um i want to know what got you into activism and like what is your motivation and like when did this really start for you the spark to help change the world that's what you're doing (laughs) yeah um i think yeah i don't think there's like one like i mentioned this earlier it wasn't really like one single thing that really got me in but i think like the the first event that 
was like really active as a bass was, uh, I think this was sophomore year. Uh, yeah, it was sophomore year in uh, September. Uh, Philadelphia was holding a climate strike. And at that point, I was already like hosting a group of like uh, high school Democrats, like a meeting at my school every week. And we decided uh, one week we would like skip school and go to uh, Philadelphia to go to the climate strike. And I was, I didn't really think anything of it. Um, so I mentioned it. I thought it would be a really good idea for like the group that I was hosting, but I ended up getting like really invested in the movement. Um, and yeah, so basically the climate strike was hosted by multiple, uh, Philadelphia climate groups, one of which was Sunrise Movement Philly, um, who is a really big, amazing group. They have like connections with AOC, um, tons of like super amazing work that they do. Oh, wow. And after, yeah, and <laughs> after the climate strike was over, um, they had tables set up, which, uh, was able to like recruit a lot of people into the movement and it's like a really good strategy. So basically I signed up uh, to their mailing list and through there I got uh, involved a lot more with them. Um, so yeah, I primarily organized with Sunrise Movement Philly for a while. And then after that, once I got a bit more acquainted with the movement, um, I started my own hub in South Jersey. And what club is that and what do you do for that? Yeah, so that is a direct uh, hub of the Sunrise Movement. It's called Sunrise South Jersey. And basically, it advocates for a lot more um, around South Jersey issues. Like, for example, Philadelphia doesn't really face, like, coastal flooding in the way that South Jersey does, um, or, like, hurricanes and things like that. So it was more focused on South Jersey issues. Um, and we're, like, centralized around the Camden area, so we mainly do um, organizing around there. We've also done some stuff in like Atlantic City. Um, so yeah. Nice, that's really cool because those are areas that do have a lot of organizations working for them to uplift them, which is super important because sometimes when people hear like Philly or like Camden or Atlantic City, there's an already a negative connotation with that place. Because every, you know, every state has a few towns, when they hear that name, they have a negative connotation with that. So it's really important to help these places, you know, up and uplift them, which is super important, I feel. Yeah, definitely. So I, over the summer, we saw a huge um, Black Lives Matter movement, and it's still continuing to this day. It's not over. The fight's not over. But over the summer, the, the big spark really ignited so many people universally universally to take a stand for Black Lives Matter with George Floyd and then Breonna Taylor and then a bunch of other people whose lives were horribly taken for them just because the color of their skin. And I want to know what you did over the summer to help with this movement and to bring light to this cause. Yeah, um, so first I... First, I want to say that, like, the, like you said, the BLM movement is still continuing. Um, I know in Philadelphia, there's still protests happening every single day, even though the media doesn't really cover it. It's really right. important to know that. Yeah, it's, even though, like... There's st we're still say, like, here. People are still there. It's just not covered anymore, which is really tragic that people treated it like a little trend going on, which is not true at all, and it's just not fair to think of it as a trend. 
because it's not <laughs> these are people's lives like it's not a trend yeah exactly I mean you put it perfectly like it's about people's lives it's not like something that you post on your Instagram or something like that um but yeah first I I honestly like didn't really do I didn't really like lead anything per se um I had a few friends in the area who wanted to host um a gathering uh, and I was like okay I'll jump in and get involved and they ended up taking like a leading role in planning the protests that happened in Collingswood at um on Hadnav outside Collingswood High School as well and yeah we ended up turning out a lot more people than we expected I think it was around 2,000 people from oh my the gosh area. I was there um, with my friend Lindsay and I know you know Lindsay, I was there with her and we were just so moved by that because we were not even expecting that big of a turnout and it was just so empowering because that was the first protest that I ever participated in and I felt so much more educated once I went there and I heard you speak there too so that's when I really knew who you were because Lindsay was like oh I know him and I'm like he's a really cool dude (laughs) (laughs) yeah um I think we were like expecting around 300 people and I think Overnight, it just sort of, people started spreading it around, and um, it got posted in a bunch of, like, Facebook groups and across social media, and that's how we were able to turn out a lot of people. Um, and, yeah, like you said, I also spoke there. Um, I did, like, some spoken words there, which was really cool, because um, I never presented stuff like that publicly before. Um, and then, yeah, like, that was my first sort of thing that I did this summer. Um, there was also a protest that happened in Hadfield outside of Hadfield High School um, that I helped uh, organize. I didn't really take a leading role there, but I did help organize with it and spread the word. Um, Which is yeah, still important. Yeah, go ahead. I said that, which is still a very important role. Like you don't have to take a leading role in everything. You don't have to be the spokesperson. Just as long as you're there to support people and lift people up and help educate, you're doing your part. You don't always have to be the leading person, which I think a lot of people get really scared of when they think about activism because they might not have the confidence to take over and do speeches, which is not always what it has to be. So I think that's just really important for people to know that it's not always presenting yourself like you can do behind the scenes work and you're just as important because you're standing up for what's right yeah exactly like you said that work is just as important as someone who's taking the lead um you know like making a speech or doing something similar because that work is really turning out as many people as possible and like you are like one of the primary reasons doing that so that's really important um and like what i was going to say was other than like doing in-person stuff, I did a lot behind the scenes, um, like virtually, obviously because of the pandemic. Um, so I hosted like a bunch of phone banks and um, just advocacy events um, around like calling Congress to pursue a bill that would ban qualified immunity. Um, so just a quick explanation of what that is. Um, when police officers are in the line of duty and they're like faced with um, a really dangerous situation. Basically, qualified immunity is a bill that will allow them to um, pursue like violence or certain uh, violent tactics to uh, preserve public safety. And that's the exact wording, preserving public safety. Okay. The issue with that is it's a very big term, as you can imagine. Yes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and it's been the primary reason and why um, 
when police officers are prosecuted for, uh, you know, like the deaths of uh, people of color in these police brutality situations, qualified immunity, immunity is usually the uh, bill that allows them to get off with no jail time or with no punishment at all, which is really, really devastating. So I advocated around having a bill that would ban that. Um, actually, Kamala Harris and Cory Booker both introduced that bill into the Senate. Uh, so this summer, I was daily organizing around uh, passing that bill. Okay. Wow. That's a huge thing to tackle. Changing. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's it's almost kind of scary to think about. Like, that's insane how much you're really taking on. I just, I find super, like, inspiring for just everyone that it doesn't matter who you are, how old you are, that you still have the ability to do something important. Because people sometimes think, oh, I'm too young to do this, which is not at all the case. If you stand, if you're standing for what's right, and you know why you stand for it, then you have the ability to make a change. Yeah, definitely. Like we mentioned earlier, just like having something that will ground you in what you do is really important because, you know, someone tries to knock you off your feet by saying that you're too young or too naive or you start to feel, you start to lose motivation. Um, that's like the one thing that will really bring you back down to earth and um, ground you in the work that you continue to do. So I wanted to kind of not shift gears because it's still the same subject, but in a different looking at it differently. Um, so as if you're, you know, in America, which a lot of people who listen to this podcast are, because we were talking about New Jersey specifically, which I know I have a lot of listeners that aren't from New Jersey, which is totally awesome. I feel like so some people might not think of it as it relates to them, but there is always something in your community that you can do that you don't have to be from New Jersey or from Philadelphia to accomplish, which I feel like is super important for people to know too. Yeah, exactly. Like there's always like no community is perfect, you know? Um, and I feel like everyone experiences certain things that they wish they could change. And the amazing thing is like, if you have enough initiative and enough motivation, you can hopefully change that and turn your community for the better. You don't have to live in an urban area or somewhere that's really affected by big ticket issues that you hear about. Um, if it's something as simple as like, um, you know, a local business is struggling, you know, you can start a mutual aid fund like I did. Um, mm. Or, you know, elderly people aren't really getting the information they need about COVID vaccines, but you can help distribute that education. Um, it's really just about identifying a problem that you see in your town and then just have the initiative to tackle it. Exactly. Because whether you are affected by something or not, it doesn't mean that it's not happening. Like if you haven't been affected by COVID, it doesn't mean it's not happening. If you are not a minority and you don't see the struggles that minorities face, it doesn't mean that it's not real and that it's not happening, which is super, super important for people to understand that it's not all yeah, about, absolutely. it's not all about you, you know? So I wanted, so Obviously, we had the inauguration via the recent election, and everything went absolutely insane in the days, weeks, months leading up to Inauguration Day, and then Joe Biden and Kamala Harris going into office, and Trump finally leaving. <laughs> um, I want to know uh, your opinions on the madness that goes on. <laughs> 
because it's insane. Yeah, I, it's insanity. Yeah. Um, America's a mess. The thing is, <laughs> um, yeah, I, I feel like the Capitol riots were sort of a, a last blow to whatever support um, or like whatever support or sanity that Trump still had um, from like the media or from his like supporters. Um, because like, I'm sure if you know, like the past four years, Trump has really had like a stronghold of people Absolutely. in Congress that will advocate for him. Absolutely, um, yes. And that's the reason why a lot of like really needed bills haven't passed. So like, I, I don't know if like, if you've seen, but ever since the riots, um, his like big supporters like Mitch McConnell and Lindsey Graham have really like stepped away from supporting him. Um, yeah. I think Mitch McConnell even advocating in support of impeachment. So it's just, I thought the riots were like a big blow to whatever platform he had left. It really was kind of a big slap in the face to every single American, even his own supporters changed and turned away from him after those riots because it, it's disgusting. It's terrorism. It, it, it That's what it is. And if people don't want to call it that, then clearly you haven't done enough research because that's what it is. And people need to know that what happened in the Capitol was absolutely an abomination that should never be happening. That is the Capitol. Like, it's insanity that these normal white dudes could just break into the Capitol. Like, it was nothing. Yeah, exactly. And I think, I'm not sure if it was the same day or the day after, but obviously, like, Trump got banned from Twitter, and that was, like, his last <laughs> platform that he had to, you know, if he wanted to incite something or say his opinions on the current administration, it's, like, he can't do that anymore. And I think, I, I honestly have conflicted opinions about that, maybe because... Twitter did take this long to right. Trump. Well, some and people want to say it goes against the First Amendment, which is the freedom of speech. But I tend to stand for that. I'm like, you can say whatever you want, but it doesn't mean that you are immune to the consequences for saying whatever you want. Just because you have the right doesn't mean that you should. <laughs> yeah, definitely. That, that's like a really big... Um, thing just because like social media is really hard to navigate with like the first amendment Absolutely. obviously the first amendment wasn't written when social media was around <laughs> right like but yeah people who wrote the constitution couldn't you know come to you know couldn't even think about like okay what's going to happen in 200 years like what's going to be around that goes against this or stands for this they just had no way of knowing what they were writing and how long they were keeping it for yeah definitely and Honestly, like the reason that I'm sort of conflicted as to why Trump or why Twitter took this long to deplatform Trump is because, like, obviously Twitter was a super popular app before um, 2016, 2015 when Trump started gaining a lot of like media attention. But trends show that like Twitter was losing interest and popularity. And I think the reason that Twitter kept Trump for so long was because that increased Twitter's popularity by. Oh, right. Yeah. and even negative that, attention like is attention so yeah exactly i mean i mean that's just like a theory that i have and stuff that i no it definitely makes sense around. though yeah it makes a lot of sense because you know even 
like I said, negative rec- like negative attention is still attention, and it still brings people to the platform because I know Trump was really known for his ridiculous tweets that, you know, looked like a twelve year old wrote them. <laughs> wrote them. Yeah. So it just it that that does make a lot of sense, but the fact that he no longer has that platform does show a lot of what kind of person gets banned from Twitter. Like, what what kind of president gets banned from Twitter? Like, it's insanity and obviously no matter you know if you don't even if you don't support trump like you still even if you support biden you still have to hold biden accountable for everything because just because trump's gone it doesn't mean that all the problems are gone and biden is still a human being who has his own issues so it doesn't mean that all of our problems as a nation are now just wept swept swept away because trump's gone you know, there's still going to be a lot of issues and people aren't going to agree with everything Biden does. And, you know, there's no president that everyone's going to believe and uh, agree with everything that he says. But, you know, we still have to hold Biden and Harris accountable for what they do, right or wrong. Yeah, um, I, I like to say that Trump's administration had a lot of bad firsts and Biden's administration so far has had a lot of good firsts. Right. Um, yeah, and, like, I I would be, like, the first person in line to say that, like, I was not a fan of Biden at all. Um, <laughs> even when, like, even when back when there was, like, a field of 20 different Democratic candidates running, um, I was a huge Bernie supporter, um, and I was devastated when he dropped out and when Biden was the nominee. And for such a long time, I was super, super critical of him. Like, obviously, like, I knew that, backing him would be the only way to get Trump out of office. Absolutely. But being super critical of him is like also the only way to make sure that he is actually keeping the interests of American people in mind. And so far, I'm really not disappointed. They've done some amazing stuff. Um, I know they have a promise of delivering 100 million vaccines in 100 days, which is like a huge goal, but they're hitting it in stride like so, so well. So I'm really excited to see what the administration has to offer yeah i mean it's going to take a while to rebuild whatever has been torn down like it's you know nothing's going to be perfect but even throughout the entire election i've been super super open about hey i don't support trump and this is why like i have reasons to back it up and you don't have to do much research research to find out why Trump's not a great person. Like it's just kind of obvious to me. To me, in my opinion, it's kind of obvious. But um, I've always used the term "I'm going to settle for Biden" <laughs> because I don't necessarily 100% support him, but I will take him over Trump in a heartbeat. Yeah, definitely same feeling here. So it's like people. I've, I get, you know, when I post political stuff, because, you know, I don't, it, it's a kind of a scary topic to handle, especially since I'm not 18, so I can't vote. So people tell me, why do you care? You can't even do anything about it anyways. Why are you telling me who to vote for when you can't even vote? Which I do see their point, but I'm also like, okay, but I'm still an American citizen and whoever is in office, it's going to affect me, you know? Like, I still live here. It's still going to affect me who's in office. So why don't I have, like, so I do have the right to have an opinion about what's going on in the world. And I am allowed to use my platform, which people don't tend to see because I get a lot of, I when I post 
about the election and stuff, I do find people in my DMs saying, here's why Trump's a good person. And I'm like, here's why he's not. <laughs> like, I'm able to yeah, back it up. Um, go ahead. No, I'm like, I'm just able to back up what I believe what I support and what I don't support and which is super important. You have to be able to back it up. You know, you can't just make a claim, an empty claim. You have to have reasons. Yeah. Um, I think like, I guess just like one more like good tactic quote unquote for dealing with people like that is, you know, when you turn 18 and you like vote, you don't, you aren't just magically infused with all this political knowledge and, that know everything about every single issue right so definitely i think like as you grow up you need to be open to other perspectives even if you don't want to take a political stance yet just absorb as much information as possible and like really form your own opinions on it instead of being so staunch in the way you've been raised or like how your parents vote or stuff you've um really been influenced by just being as open-minded as possible at such a young age is really important yes exactly because i'm not going to sit here and attack trump supporters because i don't find that fair like if you support trump whatever dude it, i i mean i've done the best i can to bring to light why you shouldn't be but at the end of the day i can't change your opinion and you can't change mine. So as long as you're not sitting here attacking me, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and attack you. <laughs> At the end of the day, you just have to come to terms with there are just some people whose minds you cannot change. You can't, you know, it's just not possible to convince everyone to believe what you believe, which is, it, it sucks sometimes because sometimes you do know what you're standing for is the correct thing to stand for, but not everyone is always going to see it that way. Yeah, definitely. So I could go on and on and on about politics, but I try not to because either it brings me into a bad mood or like I will start a fight with somebody unintentionally, you know, but Oh, it's snowing really heavily out. Sorry, I just get sidetracked. <laughs> uh, so I saw that you recently got accepted into Stanford, which is a pretty good school to my knowledge. <laughs> which, congratulations. That's awesome. Super happy Thank for you. you. Um, there are a lot of people out here and um, kind of doing this for my own selfish reasons because I'm only a sophomore in high school and I haven't done the whole college exploration. Like I have a good idea of where I want to go. I know what I want to do, but the whole thinking about applying and figuring it out just sounds terrifying, you know, like the SATs and it's just a whole, a whole big scary thing to tackle. Um, I want to know what the application process looks like and then tips on what the colleges they want to hear or they want to see from you. Yeah, um, I guess like I'll address those two things separately. First, the application process. I think uh, starting as early as possible sounds like a really good thing, but it's like really not feasible. I think like the earliest you can start is around the summer and like June to July-ish is a good time to start. Like going into junior year or going into senior year? Yeah, junior July going into your senior year. Um, okay. Is when you want to, you know, start compiling essay prompts and things like that. And basically in that like June, July, August sort of uh, portion of the year, you want to start writing 
your essays as much as possible. Um, obviously, you'll have your schools picked out by then, um, which is what you should spend your junior year doing, like really solidifying what you want to do and like where you want to go. Um, so using summer to write first drafts of your essays. And then as school starts, um, you know, reaching out to your English teacher or any other like writing mentors you have um, in like September and October to revise your essays. Um, and then also a really big thing that people tend to forget in the fall is um, doing your financial aid, which is really important. Absolutely. The earlier that you do it, um, the more aid that you will hopefully get because aid doesn't come on like a case-by-case -case basis. It's just like first come, first serve. Oh, wow. Which is, that would sound, yeah, it sounds really I didn't scary, even know that. <laughs> in yeah, in reality, um, just doing it as early as possible is the safest bet for you to get the most aid as possible. Okay, so wow. You'll need to do your FAFSA, um, which is Federal Application for Financial Student Aid. Um, and that's like a pretty short application. You'll have to sit down with your parents and with tax documents you go through it so just like that like a weekend um where you're free with your parents and do that as early as possible and then if you're applying to um the more selective schools like the ivies or any other private schools um you'll also be probably required to do the css profile which is another um really annoying financial aid <laughs> application um sounds like a lot <laughs> yeah it's much, much longer. Um, so obviously set, set, set another weekend to sit down with your parents with tax documents and go through it. That one actually costs money, but if you qualify for a fee waiver, um, you can do that. Okay. That, um, and yeah, and financial aid is like a huge, like... Definitely, especially... Hassle. Yeah. Yes. But if you get it out of the way as early as possible, you really focus more on like your applications, which is probably the best things to do um, and most applications for colleges are due um, usually like January 1st but I know because of the pandemic they uh, extended some of them to like January 15th January like 20th things like that um, so they do seem to be they do seem to be pretty understanding of the situation that students are in right now with the pandemic yeah definitely um, I think like even if you're a junior right now um, a lot of colleges have committed to their test optional policy for the next year as well, um, which basically is like they don't require SAT or ACT scores. Oh, wow. exam scores, yeah. That'll help a lot of students out that are really stressed during the pandemic with their school and stuff like that. Yeah, definitely, because I know like a lot of people have had to, you know, travel for hours to even get to their SAT testing location, which is... Oh Absolutely gosh. ridiculous that, yeah. how early the SAT is. <laughs> that shouldn't even be a thing. Like, that's ridiculous. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. And, <laughs> it's a huge uh, process. It is not even done with. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, yeah, college admissions is just like a huge process and it's really hard to like, explain, but, um, you got, there was a second part to your question, but I forgot what it was. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's totally fine. I know why you handed you a huge question. Um, what do colleges specifically want to hear or see from students that are applying? Not to just not to just give them the cookie cutter answers because I know they don't want to read through the same applications. People just saying what they want to hear, like 
but how do you present yourself in a way that will be appealing to the college that you're applying for? Yeah, I think like the really big thing is you don't want to write your application in a way that you think is going to impress the admissions officers. That's a really flawed like mindset to have, and they'll probably see right through it. Absolutely, definitely. Do, yeah, the main thing you want to do is be. This is really cliche advice, but like be as authentic as possible and showcase like the uniqueness of yourself as much as possible. Um, yeah, I that mean, makes like, a lot of sense. I guess, like, speaking from personal experience, um, I also read a lot about activism and talked about how I sparked a lot of things that happened in my community that weren't already there. So I think the fact that I was, like, sort of an outlier, quote-unquote, in my community really helped the immigration officers show that, like, oh, this is probably someone that we really want on Adderley. Yeah, because you, you do do a lot through the community and through your school, it does make you look, it makes you stand out, which is what you want, but you don't want to do things just to look good on an application. You want to do things that really are important to you, not to just look good for the school that you want to go to, which is really important. Exactly. Like, I really want to stress, like, don't, um, don't, like, stress yourself out in terms of, like, activities and extracurriculars like literally just do whatever you think is like really like your whatever you think you're passionate about whatever um whatever you do that like you have fun doing um because like you really don't want to like be stressed out for four years of high school doing an activity that you really don't like doing um, yes definitely is, yeah exactly and i think like being as authentic as possible also actually helps you in the long run because whatever schools you get into, like those are schools that are actually going to be a good fit for you based on who you authentically like actually are. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I know a lot of students now are stressed about looking good on applications because since many schools are remote or hybrid, they're not offering the same level as the same level of extracurriculars and after-school activities as we would be having on a normal school year basis. So I know, especially me, like I'm, I'm only able to do so much right now for extracurriculars and stuff because a lot of clubs and sports are just non-existent at the moment, which is out of everyone's control. Yeah, and I think like the amazing thing that colleges and college admissions people are doing right now is they're being super accommodating of the resources that students are able to access right now. Um, I know at least for this year when I applied, um, the Common App, which is like the big overarching application that many schools use, they have a prompt um, for an essay. That's basically like, oh, tell us about any hardships or obstacles you faced during COVID. Um, oh, wow. Like a really helpful essay for a lot of people, or essay quote unquote for people to write. Um, to showcase anything that they face that might um, explain certain parts of their application, for example, like grade drops or um, them stopping certain extracurriculars. Yeah. So a really good thing is that colleges let you showcase um, certain things that you might be really stressed about. That's really important because, you know, the pandemic has taken such a big toll on everyone's normal lives and it's taken such a big toll on mental health and school performance. And it's taken away a lot of things that bring students joy. Like sometimes they find the joy in their after school sports or their after school clubs. And now that's just, they don't have that. 
And that brings a lot of stress with colleges because they fear that they might not look as good because they don't have all the sports and the activities to put down as other students would be in previous years because of the pandemic, which it's, it's really sad that we're losing a lot of what brings us joy as students. So it's good that the colleges recognize that and they're here and they give you a space to put down what happened the school year with COVID. Yeah, for sure. And I think just a piece of like advice to people who, are, who might be applying like in the future, um, whatever you're being faced with now is like similar or like almost similar to what every other student across the country is facing. So don't feel like you're at a disadvantage in terms of not being able to access certain extracurriculars because all students across the country are facing similar obstacles um, and you're not at any like lower level than they are in terms of showcasing yourself as well as possible on applications. That's really important to know so that you don't think that you're the only one that looks dumb or looks like you don't do anything because especially this year I lost a lot of important things to me that happened with at school so I thought I looked at my grades this year and I was like this is not me what happened you know and it's just it's just I'm not the only one and it's not I'm not making it an excuse to get bad grades because at the end of the day I am responsible for my grades and I can't blame things I can't blame other people or other things going on for that but it is important to know that there can be a reason of why you're not performing at such a high level as you used to. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, I think grades are like a huge thing that people are stressed about right now just because um, doing doing like a lot of work virtually, it's just like a lot. It seems like teachers are really overloading. Um, And it's just like really hard because it, it appears like people have more free time at home because I know like some schedules uh, make school days even shorter or there's like extra time for people to actually conduct work. Um, but what's, what you really don't know what's going on at home with people. Um, That's and, right. You know, their access to like the internet and things like that. So it's, it's just really hard because grades are sort of not even like a good factor of the academic performance that a student has the potential to achieve. Yeah, because I know for me personally, I perform terrible with tests. And um, when it comes to testing, I don't perform as high as I thought that I like I do know the knowledge. I, I know the stuff, but it doesn't always show through my test grades, which is super disappointing because I know I'm capable of more than what my test score says I am. Yeah, definitely, because like I also struggled a lot with standardized testing. I spent so, so much time studying for the SAT. Um, and like, obviously, as you know, the SAT is a super pointless test um, <laughs> that's used to gauge college admissions. So really, I think grades have been a very, like, like over the years, grades have become a diminishing factor for college admissions. It's really more about who you are as a person, how you showcase yourself through essays, um, what you pursue in terms of activities outside of school. So if you're stressed about grades or um, test scores or things like that, you really don't need to be. I think a lot of schools, even after the pandemic, are going to probably adopt a test optional policy for 
wow. be for like forever, basically, um, just because of how much it really doesn't matter anymore. Um, it's not a good uh, showcase of what a student is able to achieve. That's really, that's kind of, it's revolutionary, really, that our yeah. like, that students' worth aren't based on their test scores and that colleges are using, you know, this terrible situation and kind of bringing, you know, it's kind of making a positive outcome. Like, hey, now we're noticing who these students are and not just what their test scores are, which is really important for people that don't perform well in tests or that um, struggle with learning disabilities. It's going to help them out a lot. Yeah, there's definitely an upside to all of this too. Yes, it's not, you know, we don't always have to look at the negative that there are some kind of silver linings throughout the mess that we're living through. <laughs> for sure, for sure. So that's really all that I had prepared. But if there's anything else that you wanted to add or anything that I skipped over or didn't bring up that you wanted to talk about, um, you know, tell me and then or if there's anything else that you wanted to say, just, you know, now's the time. Yeah, just one more thing on, like, college admissions that I guess, like, my personal process. Um, so I am, like, a first-generation college student. So I'm uh, in the first generation of my family to go to college. That's really and, exciting. Yeah. And um, obviously, like, with that, there's a bunch of extra obstacles that come with that. And... Um, for anyone that might be in the same situation that wants to go to a more selective school, um, my advice is Google, Google is your best friend um, when it comes to finding like programs and things like that to help you with college. Um, I'll just name a few programs I was involved in. First was um, LEDA, which is spelled L-E-D-A. Um, they are a really amazing college guidance program. Um, they host a seven-week institute at Princeton University every year. Obviously, this year for me it was virtual, um, but usually it's in person. And the program is entirely free. They pay for everything. That's and amazing. Their admissions admission statistics are like amazing. I think around like half of the kids in their program go to Ivy schools. And wow. The rest of them go to like still like really amazing schools like MIT and things like that. Um, that's pretty cool. Yeah, I was also, yeah, I was also involved with Matriculate, which is another college guidance program. Basically, they pair you with a mentor who is already at an amazing school, and we basically met once a week and basically set goals um, for us for me to complete each week. So, for example, a goal might be to complete essays for Stanford um, within the next week and go over them with one of my mentors. So. Um, that program wow. was really good in terms of setting goals, and there's a ton of other programs out there. Um, I think yes, if you want to like put my social media and like the podcast description, I can. Talk yeah, to, like, I will talk totally. To about like that. I'll totally link um, every resource that we've talked about, and your you know social media platforms, and any important you know resources or any informational guides, websites. Um, petitions. I'm going to link that all in the description just so that there is an outlet for people to, you know, if they listen to this episode and they somehow get inspired and they want to take a movement, they want to take a move, then I'll have everything linked in below in the description so that people do have that ability. 
so much you are too like you do so much and it's crazy and i feel like i learned so much more about the issues that are going on in the world and how to how to take a how to take a stand at a younger age which is super super important because we are the generation that will that can and will change the world and i truly truly believe that we're not just a bunch of lazy tiktokers okay We really do, for the most part, know what we're talking about, and we can back it up clearly, <laughs> as you can tell. Uh, so, if you want to, yeah, like, hopefully, this inspires someone. Yeah, I hope so. I and I know that you definitely inspire a bunch of people, and that's why I specifically wanted to reach out to you because I knew that you knew what you were talking about, and that you knew why you were talking about what you talk about. So that I find that super, super important. And I knew that you were like super educated on a bunch of topics that I wanted you specifically. <laughs> but yeah, thank you so, so much. I really appreciate it so much. Like really. <laughs> yeah, of course. I like really appreciate you asking me to come on because this is like an amazing conversation. Definitely. I really do. Whenever I do episodes with people that I haven't, met in person I do get nervous because I'm like oh no what if we don't agree what if you know just our personalities don't go well together but I I once we started talking I all my worries went away and I knew this was going to be really really good and productive and I'm, I'm so grateful for that yeah I feel the exact same thank you so much yeah so I'm going to link everything in the description and please make sure to check out um everything that i put down there um do you want me to like your instagram is that okay for you yeah go ahead okay so yeah make sure go give go give ritwick a follow please 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 he has so many amazing resources and he speaks so much about important things so i really want you guys to do that anything else you want to say before i end the recording uh no i think that's it all right bye guys thank you